Welcome to the On The Edge Podcast with your host, Scott Groves. All right, this is Scott Groves. I'm here with my friend, uh, fellow front row dad, lifestyle investor, entrepreneur, and complete badass recently, um, number one best-selling author, Justin Donald. So Justin, tell us about your book because I've read it twice, but I want to hear what's your pitch to people as far as reading The Lifestyle Investor. Well, thanks for the, the kind words and the, the nice intro. It's always fun to hang, Scott. So thanks for having me. Uh, so, you know, the book is more than anything, it's, it's my opportunity to kind of share my world with people. I, I've had uh, friends and family that have been asking me for, you know, over a decade to, to put something out. And I've just kind of postponed it or kicked the can down the road for a while. And, and uh, one of my friends really just kind of hit me in the gut uh, and said, well, why don't you, you know, put something out? Because if you don't and something happens to you, your daughter's never going to learn all this information. So it's a, actually a, a mutual friend of ours. Uh, so it was like, man, that is really intense. And it was all that I needed. Two days later, I started writing the book. And so to me, it's, it's a legacy piece. Uh, and first and foremost, it's, it's for my daughter. But beyond that, it's for anyone else that I can help. And the goal is to really teach people how to invest and to invest in a way that is not the conventional way of doing it, because I don't think that that is an avenue that most people win long term in or even short term in. So I really just want to teach people how to do it and that you don't have to wait until you're retired. You don't have to be a slave to a job that you hate or a business that you no longer love, that you can actually have a killer lifestyle now. You can buy your time back and you can work in a way that is really congruent with your goals and in alignment with you know, how you want to do life. So maybe you enjoy what you do, but you don't enjoy 60 hours a week of it or 40 hours a week of it. But would you enjoy 30 hours a week of it or 20 hours a week? You know, so it's, it's really shifting life onto your terms, a life by design, not a life by default, not going through just reacting to life and putting out fires and taking care of problems, but instead being intentional and carving out time to say, hey, this is actually what I want my life to look like. This would be inspiring. It would be, you know, this is a compelling vision of the future. And this is how I'd want to wake up and show up every day. And so that, that's my goal is to help people understand that they can have a killer life today and they don't have to wait until they retire and use your qualified vehicles with, you know, 90 to hundred percent of your money exposed in the stock market uh, because that is pretty risky. So what I love about you is that, you know, people can tune into your podcast, The Lifestyle Investor. They can read the the preamble or the preface to the book to kind of get your backstory. But what I love is you don't have this kind of what we've seen so much on the internet, rags to riches. I was super poor. I lived in a trailer home. Then I found this $99 course. And if you just buy my $99 course, you too will be rich. You were like, no, I had a really great living growing up in a traditional middle-class household where your parents both worked their ass off. You had a great job. You were making great money. And you were like, I want to be home more. I want to be with my daughter more. I want to have a life where I can travel more. So can you tell us the Reader's Digest version of where you went from like, hey, corporate America and the teaching job for your wife is really not what we want to spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week doing. And, and we want to become what you now call a lifestyle investor, which really just meant getting more passive income than active income. Like what's the Reader's Digest story of you saying, oh shit, I'm, I'm not going to work this corporate job for the next 40 years. I, there's got to be something more out there. 
Yeah, you know, that that right there is uh, one of the best points. I, I'm glad that you asked this, and I'm glad that you thought about it the way that you did, because that's it. That's that's the answer is, I didn't want to make more money. I wanted to have more time. And that's the big difference. I didn't care that I was trying to accumulate a net worth or a nest egg of X amount of dollars. I just wanted to create cash flow that, you know, I can have assets that will increase in value. It can be a component of how I grow my net worth. But instead of focusing on accumulating to some big number, why don't I just focus on the cash flow today? Because all I really want is to buy my time back. If I can live life on my terms, then life gets way more exciting. So when my wife was a teacher um, that, you know, she loved teaching, but she would be at school by 7am and she would get home by 3.30, four o'clock. And it was that way five days a week. And you don't get a whole lot of vacation time inside of the school year. And then you get vacation time in the summer, unless you're trying to supplement or you want to do, you know, teach track or FBLA or, or different things like that, like my wife did. And so uh, it was very apparent that we needed a shift in our time, what we did for a living to give us more time, right? That, that was where the shift needed to take place. And it first started with her and we bought rental properties to be able to cover her income. And then next it happened with me. And so my, you know, I, I was a little bit more on the entrepreneurial side, but I was under the umbrella of a company. So there's a corporate structure, but I was an independent contractor and I built my business around that. So I had some flexibility and I had built some systems. Uh, but what I also noticed is it's easy to become a slave to the money that you make or a slave to the ego that you can have or the positioning or the corporate ladder or the lifestyle that you live. And I just didn't want to be a slave anymore. I just wanted to live life in a way where I could spend it with whoever I wanted to spend it with for as long as I wanted. I could work long days if I chose to, or I could work not at all if I chose to. And I could travel for long stretches of time uh, with my family. And that to me is, is what's the most inspiring. So the book is about, you know, how do you break free from these handcuffs and the handcuffs exist in some way, shape or form. If you really dissect it, it, it either exists because you are afraid of losing the security, you know, which is a certain amount that you get for your paycheck or a certain amount of work that you do that provides a certain paycheck, or maybe you are your own business owner. And so you have been able to maybe move into freedom and autonomy like you think. I, I know when I started my business, when I, when I left my, my first um, uh, entrepreneurial endeavor and started one that was out on my own with, with you know, no uh, umbrella over me, uh, it, it was a lot of hard work. Well, both of them were a lot of hard work. And I would find myself working 18 hour days. And I just knew I didn't want that long term. Like I, I could do that in a short season of my life. But long term, that was not appealing. And just because I could work harder and make more, that's, that's great in a certain season of life, but it's not great in the bigger scope of things. And so I just wanted to do things differently. And my friends thought I was crazy. You know, my friends were like, what, you're going to leave this and you could be making twice as much. And I yeah. said, no, that, that's not the goal. I'm not trying to make twice as much. I want, I'm happy making whatever I make. If I have my time, I would make way less than I make to be in charge of my time and total control, total agency uh, of my life. 
Yeah, so I, I think the common thought process, and I'm just going to use round numbers because it's easy. Let's say, you know, when you started this journey, your wife made 40 grand and you make 60 grand. I don't know what you guys were actually making, but I'll just make a round number. So you guys were making $100,000. I think the the fallacy that we've all been tricked into is like, okay, well, if you want to replace $100,000 of inf- income, you've got to work for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, have your little $2 million, $3 million, you know, nest egg, Hope to God the stock market doesn't crash right before you're about to retire, as a lot of people experienced in 2009. And then you can either draw $100,000 or take interest or dividends or whatever off that two or three million and pray to God that you don't outlive your money. I mean, that's basically what college teaches us. That's what corporate America teaches us. That's what every 401k um, you know, advertisement teaches us. I'd love to hear from you, first of all, why that's wrong and why Justin Donald's right. And two... What does it take to replace $10,000, $50,000, $100,000 a year worth of income? Um, so just tell us how to solve all the problems of the world in 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. All right. So you have knit the, you, you've hit the nail on the head with the fact that there's no doubt that the conventional way of investing is built ar- around a lot of luck or hope. You, you, you hope to get lucky. You hope that things happen. You, you hope that you retire when the economy is in an uptick not a downtick. You hope that taxes aren't higher, which I have a hard time believing that they won't be, um, especially then today. Uh, but most certainly, even if we're in a high tax you know, season uh, today, it, it's hard to think that it's going to be less when our debt is just climbing. Our national debt is just uncontrollably, uh, well, it's out of control is what it is. Um, and so it, there's hope that you can accumulate enough. There's hope that there's not too much inflation that devalues the dollar. You hope that you can actually live on the interest of it and you don't have to dip into the principal because once you dip into the principal, then you start erasing your cash cow, so to say. I mean, and there's tons of other levels of like hope, 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 hope. We hope that it works out. We hope that there's social security. We hope that there's, you know, uh, Medicare. We hope that there's all these things and, you know, will there be? Maybe. It'll be at a cost, though, because, you know, the, the government's already said that they can't afford it. They, they've already said that it's going to run out. Now, will they find a way to make it happen? Yeah, but they're going to borrow more money and there will be a cost to it. It means that the dollar is going to be worth less. So what I think, what I believe, what I've experienced in my life is instead of waiting and hoping that this accumulation method works, I'd rather just buy an asset that produces a certain amount of income. And I like to buy them in a way where I know that they cash flow right out of the gates. So I don't, my goal in, in buying assets is not to bank on appreciation. I hope that they appreciate, but I'm not buying uh, in a negative cash flow situation, meaning I buy something and I have to pay to own it. I, I lose money every month. And I know a lot of people that invest that way and they hope that the, you know, the market goes up high enough and uh, that they're able to make a substantial amount on that appreciation. That's not my goal. I want to buy something based on the fact that it cash flows today and pay a fair amount for that, whatever that asset may be. Maybe it's an operating company. Maybe it's real estate. Maybe it's a debt structure and it's more of a loan than an investment. Whatever it is, I want to know that I have access to some asset that's going to produce income for me and it likely is going to grow in time. And then I can use that cash flow. So you gave an example of, you know, $100,000. If we earned $100,000 or if our lifestyle cost us $100,000, uh, 
Um, and, and maybe it's just the bare necessities. Maybe you're in a very expensive city. And so $100,000 is just what it costs to live, not even your lifestyle. But that's a big number. So instead of looking at it as a whole, break it down. That's, you know, $8,300 per month. Well, that is a little bit more manageable. It's, it's easier to kind of tackle that number than to tackle this big annual $100,000 number. And you can even dissect it down from there. What if you can't get to that quickly, but you can figure out what your mortgage is and you can cover your mortgage? Or maybe it just starts with your car payment and you figure out how to buy an asset that covers your car payment. Whatever it is, it's just getting a start somewhere and it's getting your money working for you. When your money's in a qualified plan or in the stock market, I hope that you're on a long-term hold on it and you're not taking it out or putting it in based on emotions. Um, but because of that, you know, most people can't do that. So they, you know, sell when they shouldn't, they buy in when they shouldn't. Um, but if you can truly just have it long-term and let it sit, which is the best way to do it. And specifically with index funds, because your financial advisors and money managers, 95% of the time don't, don't outperform it based on the numbers that have been proven in the last 15 years. Uh, only 5% of money managers actually outperform it. So Based on that, do it for the long term, do it in an index fund, because that's the cheapest way to do it. But when your money's tied up in the stock market for the long term, you have no utility on that money. So that is one way people can do it. But you've got one outcome and you're not really getting anything from it. And even if you're in a dividend paying stock, you're, you're rolling that in. Most people aren't living on those dividends. It's not enough to do anything. So for me, I would just rather have money first and foremost in assets that produce income and then once I cover the bare necessities, my mortgage, my uh, food, my utilities, my car payment, whatever it is, once that bare minimum's covered, well, then you've got some breathing room. You can work on getting to lifestyle income on a monthly basis. And then once that's done, you can invest all the overage into whatever you want. You can increase your lifestyle. You can, you know, I've always decided to put it into other assets that produce income. And then once my life is covered and I can do whatever I want, that to me is a real good time to put it in the stock market long term because I got cash flow now. I've got utility on my money and now I'm ready to diversify into something else. So let me ask you this. I'm, I'm sure somebody wants to do this, but they're rolling their eyes because they're like, well, I don't have X amount of dollars. And, and you know, what is a lot of money to somebody is all relative to what they're thinking about buying. So maybe I don't have $10,000 to go buy an asset. I don't have $100,000 to put down in a house. I don't have a million dollars to buy a trailer park home or a storage unit or a business or whatnot. Um, where, where do people start, right? Because I, I think there's a happy medium somewhere between uh, uh, you know, whether it's Dave Ramsey, have no debt, live like a pauper, hate your life and save, save, save. There's gotta be a happy meeting between that. And like, well, I'm going to Vegas and putting it all on black. Um, so, so where, where do people start if they're just starting to think through this? Because, you know, we're coming, we're, we're obviously filming this in 2021. It feels like all asset classes are pretty expensive. Like, you know, when you talk about a piece of real estate cash flowing, it's like mm, in Southern California, you can't find that. You can't find a $800,000 single family residence that you buy, put a renter in there and cash flow. So, talk a little bit, even in this environment where, you know, all asset classes, the stock market, 
pork bellies, um, real estate, everything feels kind of expensive right now. Where can somebody start if they don't have a bunch of money and how can they conceptualize this even in a market where it feels like things are maybe expensive? Well, we're in a bit of a predicament here because money is becoming less valuable by the day. So right now, based on the last nine months of money printing, 40% of the dollars in circulation in the US were printed inside of the last nine months, 40% of the money. So think about that. So anyone who's telling you that inflation is 2%, 3%, they are full of it. And now the new you know, stimulus for 1.9 trillion, maybe that bumps it up to 45% of money in circulation. Um, you know, I'd have to do the math, but it's over 40%. So think about that and think about what's happening to the dollar. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, you're right. Asset classes uh, are almost across the board are overvalued. The stock market is at an all-time high. Uh, so that's overvalued. Many of your real estate sectors are overvalued. So it's, it's hard to want to buy in. Now, not every asset is that way. And typically, if you want to hedge against a devaluing uh, dollar, you know, to hedge against inflation, you would buy assets. And assets are going to appreciate typically in proportion to inflation. So that's a great hedge first and foremost. So it's finding the assets that are not overvalued. And that might be finding an off-market deal. I call them invisible deals. There are a lot of them. It could be an off-market deal. It could be uh, a new trend that is emerging. It could be a new business or opportunity or uh, innovation to the status quo. Uh, it could be a totally new industry like cannabis or crypto. You know, th there's just so many opportunities. E-commerce is booming. There's just so many opportunities. So that so the first thing is not every asset class is overvalued, but a lot of them are. So be careful. Secondly, if money is being devalued, you want it in assets. You don't want it in cash. You don't want it sitting in your bank account. Um, that's just not a good use of funds. And so, you know, to answer your question, how do people do it? You don't have to have a lot of money. You just have to figure out a way where you can make a win-win situation with someone else. I mean, I've bought several, I've invested in several uh, opportunities. Some of them were uh, a seller finance deal where I didn't have to put much down. I was able to negotiate that. Others, I didn't have to put anything down, but I was able to bring some of my expertise to the situation. Um, other times I was just able to broker a deal between other people and I didn't have to do anything with money but I got a piece for being in the middle. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, you know, I, I love uh, some of these new crowd uh, source platforms. You've got crowdfunding and um, you can do something as low as $100 or $1,000. I mean, that is a great place to start. And every deal is a little bit different there. Um, the other thing that you can do is you can find some real estate and find something that you can own in a place that you'd want to own it. And uh, in that scenario, maybe you figure out if you want to do a short-term rental, a long-term rental. Um, there's just so many options that exist. The goal, though, is cash flow. Buy assets that have cash flow. And the opportunities to do that are just endless. Can you walk us through the first couple deals when you were getting your feet wet and you had your little nest egg of money and you were still working? And I'm sure there's some point you turn to your wife and you're like, all right, we're going to buy this thing. And if we get it right, 
you eventually can stay home with the family and not have to teach all day, which I know she loved, but that wasn't the lifestyle you wanted. Can you talk a little bit about the first couple investments you got into and, and a little bit of what your thought process was that, of course, ended up leading to the principles in this book? Yeah, so my, my first deal was a mobile home park. And um, I had, I mean, this is my first deal that was kind of like a cash flow investment. I had bought my own place. I had rented it out. I moved uh, shortly after buying it for a, an opportunity, a, a work opportunity. And I rented it out, but for negative cash flow. And I bought it at the peak of the housing market before the crash. I mean, there's just so many things that I did poorly on that one. So, I mean, that was truly my first investment and it didn't go well, but that's because I bought it as a place to live, not as a place to rent. And that was a good lesson to learn. And it was a good lesson to pay attention to what the market looked like. And was I paying too much? Um, and you know, in retrospect, there were warning signs all over. So, uh, instead of giving up though, I decided I would just model after people that were doing a good job because if someone else can do it, I know I can do it. I just need a blueprint. I might not be able to figure it all out on my own, but if someone says, Hey, I did here are my 10 steps. Well, I could copy someone's 10 steps and I can do it. And that was my mindset. If someone else can do something, I can learn what they've done and I can at least be decent at it. I'm maybe not, I'm not going to be as good as them out of the gates, but I'll just copy what they do. I won't innovate until I'm an expert. And then once I'm an expert, then maybe I try to innovate. So that was my thought process. And, and I had, you know, a, a mentor take me under his wing in the mobile home park space. I went to a boot camp. I had a friend that bought one, went to a boot camp and uh, learned about it and then was just decided, you know, hey, if we did this, the income would replace my wife's salary. Uh, and, and it didn't replace it straight up, but after tax, it did, you know. And, and so I just, I knew that that was probably a good move. Um, I found the deal off market. I cold called until I found someone willing to sell me their mobile home park. Wait, you mean there was work and involved? This person was, there was work involved. Okay. Yeah. yeah, there were plenty of people. So I called, you know, and this is great because it ended up working out that I called about a hundred mobile home park owners and I finally got one in about a hundred. Now the next series took me a lot more than a hundred calls. So I actually say a hundred calls is kind of good, um, but a lot of people would be scared by that 100 calls, but it's not tough work. You know, I, I just made a script and then just called. I mean, it was just, I was like a robot. Uh, and, and then I negotiated just 15% down for that mobile home park. And that was really good. And he said, you know, I asked him, would you, would you finance this note for me? So I don't have to get a bank. I'll pay you a nice interest rate. So you win. It's better than a CD. It's better than probably anything else you're going to invest in. It's safe because you know how good this mobile home park is. And if I default, you take it back and you already know how to run it and you keep my money for free. And so he said, yeah, you know, I'll do that. That sounds good. Uh, and so my first was a $65,000 down payment. And then I just was able to cash flow from day one and made the note payments to the seller. And I still am doing the same thing today. So you know, it's, it's been very lucrative. I, I think when people think of trying something new, buying a mobile home park, you didn't know anything about mobile homes. I'm guessing, did you grow up in a mobile home? Uh, no, I didn't know anything about them. Nothing, I mean, right? I, I was a total novice. 
So, you know, you bought some books, you took a course, I'm guessing probably spent a couple thousand dollars to learn what you were doing, cold called a hundred yep. people. I think people's gut feeling is like, well, if there is a good deal out there or if there's an invisible deal to find, it must because be because it's shady. You know, uh, somebody got a great deal on this investment property because the old lady had Alzheimer's and some realtor took advantage of her. Right. Like that. When, when people say like, oh, I found a deal off market. I'm like, oh, well, what shady stuff was going on? But this was really just putting in the work and finding somebody who was in a position that they just wanted to sell for whatever reason. What was their motivation? Do you know what their motivation was to sell? Well, it's funny because he said to me, um, you know, I, I've been thinking about maybe selling. I wasn't sure. You reached out at the right time. And all I really want to do, and this was his, his words, he said, I just want to ride off into the sunset and have payments show up. Like I, I make X amount per month and then I just ride off into the sunset. And so I remember there was another group that came in and cold called them during the same time. So there was a little bit of like competition, a little bit of a bidding war. Uh, and, and I just remember like my line to him when I wanted to close him on going with me, cause this other group had experience and I had no experience. And I said, you, you know, I, I pay my debts and I am a great partner to have, and I'll do a good job by you. And more than anything, I'm going to set it up so you can just ride off into the sunset. And, uh, and you know, that was his own language. And I think that that really pushed him over. Like he knew I was paying attention. He knew I heard him. And he ended up going with me. That's amazing. And then he sold me another park and it, it went fantastic. And he still actually owns a few that I'd like to buy. Um, but he's taking his time. Let, let me know when I can call him to talk about riding off into the sunset. <laughs> so, so talk a little bit about this idea of cash flow. Cause I think, I, I think the traditional thought is I buy a rental property. I put a hundred grand down you know, and then it cash flows because we have tenants in there. And and here's been my experience because I've I've screwed up every investment I could possibly make. So it's like you do your spreadsheet, you account for the maintenance, you account for the management company, you account for you know um, maybe some uh, some shortage or some delinquencies or some bad tenants or some uh, you know occupancy rates are down in that town. You you try to think of everything, and then you put your hundred thousand dollars in, and you're like, wow, I'm like I'm netting. 800 bucks, 300 bucks, 100 bucks a month from this investment. I'm I'm out 100 grand that I put down on the property and you know the best laid plans of mice and men all of a sudden the roof goes out 5 years before it's supposed to. You've got a $10,000 expense and you're like, "Well, now this damn thing is costing me money." And then you sell it too early, which is what I've done. It, 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 this might sound familiar to anybody that bought a property, thought they were going to do well off of it and sold it a little too soon. So when you start thinking of cash flow, like how are you evaluating that? You know, one of your big principles in your book is get your money back as soon as possible. Can you talk through and maybe just use the, the rental property because that's the one probably most people will be familiar with. Can you talk about the rental property idea, buying, cash flowing, what you're thinking of, and then getting that principal back fast? Because, you know, if I've got $200,000 to go put down on something, yeah, I could probably make a positive cash flow, but I'm not following the other principles in your book, which is get the money back, you know, plus the deal, do extra things to make it more. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, one thing that I have learned is if you can create some sort of a methodology that you make decisions based on criteria, not emotions, it's going to be very helpful. And one of the things that I do is I like to buy with, um, so there's something called a spread. 
And the spread is the difference between the interest rate that you're paying for your mortgage uh, and then the cap rate or capitalization rate of the real estate in this case we're talking about. Uh, and so the, the best way that I can describe the cap rate would be if you, Scott, were to buy a property 100% cash, then the cap rate is what you would make as your percentage return each year. So I love finding deals that I could buy at a 10 cap, but the interest that I have is much lower. Maybe it's 4% or 45 or 5%. And the goal is three. You want a three-point spread. And I don't even know if I put this in my book. I, I probably should have. I actually don't think I did. But the goal is to have a three-point spread because if you have three points in between the interest and the cap rate, so let's say you can get 4% right now, which you know most people can do that, maybe 4.5%. Um, so if you can get a seven and a half cap, probably even a seven cap, you've got a three-point spread. That three-point spread is going to equal a 20% cash on cash return on your money. So whatever amount of cash you're putting into down payment, 20% of a return on that money. That is kind of one of the things that I look for. So if you do a two-point spread or a one-point spread, there's not a lot of uh, ability to make mistakes. That margin of error uh, becomes a little bit more critical. So in your scenario, like you're talking about, I would imagine that there was a small spread that some, one thing goes wrong and now the numbers are screwed. I'd rather have that three-point spread. So if anything goes wrong, maybe I'm only making 15% or 10%, but I'm still in the positive. So that's one way to kind of ensure that you're getting good results. Um, but the other thing, I mean, th there are a lot of different ways you can do it too. Maybe you don't want to manage real estate. Maybe, you know, if, if you buy... Um, you know, if you buy a single family home, then you're relying on one tenant. If something happens there, well, you just lost all your money. Um, whereas multiple tenants, which is what I would rather do, you've got, again, margin for error. Someone defaults, someone gets evicted, but you still have money coming in. So there are just a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, specifically, California or any place with really high um, home values that's probably not a place that I would want to invest myself personally and any place that doesn't have favorable uh, tenant laws. And, and so, you know, and, and I should actually call it favorable landlord laws. Um, and California is really challenging on that, you know, so is New York. And, and so that to me, that just rules those markets out. I'll invest somewhere else where it's a lot more friendly to the landlord or the business owner. Um, but we can, we can even take a look at this. Like, let's say someone wants, you know, no work, no hassle. They're, they're like, I'm not doing real estate. Well, get into debt, get into senior secured debt where you have collateral, which, it, it, you know, it's, it's assets that back your investment or back your loan. And it can be backed by real estate. And you're not on the hook to maintain or to do anything. You're just lending money with a high interest rate with two or three times the collateral of the loan that you have in place. So if anything goes wrong, you'd make even more money. That to me is a great way to do it as well. If you just don't want any responsibility, you want something that's a little bit more passive and there, I mean, everything's a negotiation. So we could, we could come up with a cool structure for any type of business 
that you would buy, like any investment, it's all the terms. So I'm very happy to pay people the price they want. They tell me the price they want, great. I don't need to negotiate the price. You have what you want. You're going to be happy if I give you what you want. All I want are terms that are favorable to me. So you get the price, I get the terms, and let's make something work. Talk about that a little bit, because I think most people's perception of investments, especially a lot of people watching this might be in the real estate world, the mortgage world, you know, their thought is, okay, well, yeah, I bought a property for $500,000. What else is there to negotiate? Like I get my loan from the bank. I, I did my inspections. It's $500,000 and, and that's it. But you're saying in, in the world in which you live, where you're, you're investing for cash flow. Maybe price is not the most important thing. And I'm kind of shocked to hear that, even though I've read it in the book. So um, hearing you say it out loud uh, is interesting to me. Tell me a little bit about that, uh, about the, the terms of the deal and, and some win-wins that you've structured and some, you know, what you called uh, plussing the deal. Sure. Well, I'm not afraid to overpay for something because if the numbers work, even at the price that I'm overpaying for, then that's fine. So to me, if I can put less money down to buy an asset, that is way more important to me than the price because whatever I'm getting, I'm probably amortizing at 20, 25 or 30 years. So the amount that it costs me per month that's more is so negligible. It, it just doesn't matter. So I, I don't care what that end price is as long as it fits the, the financial modeling that I've done. All I want are terms that can support a good investment. So maybe that's a really low interest rate. Maybe that's a long note. Maybe that is uh, no down payment or a 5% or a 10% down payment. Um, there's so many different ways that we could, we could cut this, but I'm just looking for a way that it is easy for me to want to say yes, but still allowing them to feel good. So the goal here, like I love to negotiate, um, but when I negotiate, it's for a win-win. Most of the time a deal is presented to you, it's a win for whoever's you know, selling it or showing it. I mean, it's a win. They came up with it, right? So that doesn't mean it's good for you. If it's good for you, great, do it. But I mean, most of the time it's not. So you just have to push back and find terms that are good for you. So my goal is not to negotiate so hard that the terms are so bad for them and I win and they lose because that doesn't work. I mean, long-term, they're never going to come back to me. I would rather a deal be like so good where I feel great. I got the terms I wanted. They feel great. They got the price they wanted. Everyone feels good. Maybe you didn't get everything you wanted, but you're, but it was a successful sale. Everyone wins. And now they come back for more business in the future. And I've had a lot of situations like that, Scott. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, my mind coming from the, the retail lender world, it's like, well, you can't negotiate terms. Either the, the lender says it's 20% down at 4% or it's 15% down at four and percent or 3% or 2% or whatever the rates are. It's like the deal is the deal, right? Uh, you know, and in my world, which is mortgages, it's like, I'm constantly telling clients, Hey, there's no used car salesman manager behind the curtain where I can go get you a better rate or a better deal. But in the world where you're playing mostly, which is business to business or you know um, uh, investment properties that are not on the residential side, you're saying it's very easy to negotiate terms. Yeah, and I'm actually going to say this is going to probably surprise you and and a lot of your audience. I negotiate terms with lenders all the time, uh, and so here's the the key to that. And and I'm I mean I don't know that there's a deal that I have done where I have not negotiated a better term with my lender. So if, if I'm coming in with just lend, one lender and that's it, well, 
I'm probably not going to have a whole lot of success. But if I have three different people, three different term sheets, three different options, and I, and I let, I'm up front with everyone. I say, hey, I'm going to use you uh, to get a loan. I'd like to go with you. But I also want you to know that I have two other banks because I want to keep you honest, make sure that you're giving me the best possible rate. But just up front, I want you to know I'm going to go with who gives me the best terms. Uh, I hope it's you. I hope it's your bank. And so people will, you know, show up each, you know, lender uh, or loan officer, they, they, they show up with their numbers. And then, you know, if I like them, then I go with them nine times out of 10. Uh, I negotiate something. I mean, I, 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 it's probably 10 out of 10 times I've negotiated for better terms by saying, okay, I like what you show me. This bank has this. I'm happy to send you the term sheet, uh, match it or beat it. And that works all the time. I love it. I mean, I hate it, but I love it. Uh, so, so tell me, tell me a little bit if I don't know anything about, I, I have a lot of information about residential deals. I know how to look at tax returns. I know how to evaluate cap rate, which by the way, if somebody reads the Wikipedia on calculating a cap rate, your head will start spinning. So watch a video on it or, or read Justin's book or something like that. So I, I feel like I have a good base of understanding of the financial world, of how to underwrite a deal, of how to think through finances just because of my background, which a lot of people listening to this will also have that same background. Where do you start to find the invisible deals? How do I start to think of, you know what might work well for Scott is a storage unit or a, or a senior secured debt, or which I don't even know where you would find that, or a, a mobile home park or whatnot. Like, you know, you and I are in a men's group where we were joking all weekend about, well, I guess the key to life is just to buy a mobile home park. And that was kind of the ongoing joke. But where does somebody start to think about finding invisible deals or educating themselves? Because I know if I just go find some senior secured debt, I'm going to put $50,000 on, on a debt and I might as well have gone and played blackjack with it because I don't have industry experience or knowledge in that. So how do people start to think about sourcing a deal or what might work for them? Well, I think a real good way to do it is to, to find a mentor, uh, find a coach, someone that's done it. So not someone that can, you know, not a life coach, like and someone that has the experience of having done it themselves type of a coach or mentor. I think that is a great place. I think having a peer group that knows that space is really good. I think having access to people that have deal flow and having access to people that are smart and sophisticated and, and they themselves are investing and they have a, a way of assessing deals that they can either teach or that they, you know, that they've done on your behalf. I mean, all those are, are great ways to do it. Uh, and then I think, you know, and specifically for real estate, it's relationships with people that own and kind of cutting out the middleman or, good relationships with brokers that are going to bring you deals before they hit the market. Uh, and, and, you know, just know that you're going to be easy to work with and you'll give the price that they want because it's, it's already a good deal. So, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to do it, but sometimes you need to pay to play, meaning you're, you know, compensating a broker or realtor for bringing you a deal off market uh, first and, and then, or maybe it's, you know, getting access to a group, a mastermind, a network, um, a coach, uh, a mentor, uh, and then at a bare minimum, it's upgrading your, uh, investment peer group, who you hang out with that plays the game of investing in finances at a higher level than you. So all those I think are, are great ways to kind of learn and, uh, to even hack it in a, 
uh, in a much faster fashion. Yeah. So I, I think people that have gotten into either personal development or professional development, or they've read some of the books behind you, which is ironic because I've got a bunch of the same books. I'm, I'm looking at your shelf. I'm like, yeah, I got that one. Oh, Ray Dalio. Yep. Entrepreneur's Roller Coaster. So I know a lot of people who have done a lot of work on um, improving their circle. You know, you kind of become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. They've done a really good job at finding a way to make more money be more successful, build a better mousetrap, you know, create more wealth in their business. Uh, but I suspect most people, you know, they have a little bit over here in their 401k and they've got some emergency savings. And you made me feel like an idiot. You didn't even know you did this. When you were like, you know, instead of buying a car all cash, I would take that $60,000 that you're going to spend on the BMW, you know, buy it for a very low interest rate and take that 60,000, go put it in an investment property where you're now spinning off cash to make the car payment. I was like, I'm an idiot. I just bought a car all cash. I should have bought a rental property and then have that income pay for the car payment. So just shifting your thinking, you know, getting around people that do more investments. You mentioned something in your book of this idea of like finding the, the phantom cash or finding the phantom money. Like you probably already have some things that you can leverage to come up with money to do the investment. And that's, I, I thought that was genius because I think there's a lot of people in my situation, they've got, you know, a hundred grand or a couple hundred grand in their 401k. Maybe they have some cash value life insurance. You know, maybe they're making a good living and their income is finally starting to outpace their, their living expenses. So talk a little bit about where people find this phantom cash to start doing the investments. Cause I, I, you, you've never shared this with me before until this podcast, the fact that you bought your first big cash flowing investment with $65,000 down, I'm like, well, shit, I got $65,000. <laughs> Why am I not doing more? So talk a little bit about that phantom cash or finding the phantom money. Sure. And by the way, you could buy multifamily for even less than 65,000 down. You know, that just happened to be the deal that I found, but um, there's a lot of ways you can do it. So, you know, think about this. Do you have a whole life insurance policy? I mean, that's one of my favorite vehicles because uh, you, you earn a dividend or a return every single year. But then on top of that, you're able to borrow against that money. So you can put the same money at work in two different investments. So you get two returns on the same dollars. That's what banks do. That's fractional reserve lending. Uh, only they do high risk stuff and that's a very low risk thing as long as you know what you're investing in. So that's one way to do it. Some people will get, you know, a line of credit or, you know, a HELOC or something like that. Uh, and, and so I think that's a, another way. If you have a low enough interest rate, I mean, let's say on your HELOC, you have like a 4%, 4.5%, 5%, you know, maybe it's not even that great, but uh, can you find something that's going to make you 8%, 9%, 10%. I mean, there's tons of this stuff out there. So you're just pocketing the spread. So it, it truly is a no brainer. Um, but a lot of the times you can leverage your own expertise. So what is it that you know, better than most people in the world, and you can leverage that into investments that are going to help you. So you know, you have a lot of people in your network that know, um, you know, loans and mortgages and uh, home values and just the way that those pair. And so that could be a great place to find off market deals or to pool money or I mean, there's just so I mean, you could run courses and teach people how to do it, you could set up a lending fund, and you have other people lend money and, and you can be the owners. Um, if you don't want to pony up the cash, or if you just want to pony up part of the cash. I mean, there's so many ways to, to do it. And for loan officers, um, you know, in particular, 
what a, what a great time and what a great season to learn how to invest because these are some of the biggest years that they've ever had. And, and we don't know how long this is going to last. You know, I, I'm imagining a lot of people you have influence with last year was the biggest year they ever had. And probably by a sizable amount, probably Absolutely. not like I barely had my best year. Like I had a 25 to 50 to maybe even a hundred percent, you know, or more best year ever. Uh, in terms of income. And so there's a lot of extra money and it's going to be tempting to, uh, you know, not, it's going to be tempting to spend it on lifestyle, but what if you can invest it in a way that you have cash flow that then can fund some lifestyle? That's just the way I think about it. And, and by the way, this year, this could be another banner year. Now rates are already up a little bit from last year. Now they'll probably sit still. We don't know what's going to happen with the housing market. Um, but I mean, I would just anticipate that nothing's going to be like last year, even though this year could be exactly like last year, but it could all end. Yep. I mean, this could be the last year or this could be the last month. I mean, we, we just don't know. But if there was ever a time to become financially fit and financially savvy, uh, and you don't even have to be savvy, like financially, like better educated than you are right now, uh, this is probably it to put some of that money to use. You know, it's it's so interesting because you're right. A lot of loan officers, a lot of realtors had an amazing year. And the the cash value life insurance is something I've kind of been investing in accidentally since I got married and had kids. And in March of 2020, when the lockdown started happening, I kind of looked around. I surveyed my experience. I talked to some people much smarter than me. And I pulled my wife and my assistant into the kitchen. And I will probably remember this conversation for the rest of my life. And I said, look, the next 12 months are going to look like one of two things. It's either going to look like 2009 and there's going to be a meltdown in housing and mortgage and finances. And we might be renting out a bedroom here to help cover the mortgage or rates could drop precipitously, which they did, thank God. And we could have the biggest, busiest year I've ever had. Now, luckily the latter happened. Um, but in that moment of freaking out, I called my financial investor or financial advisor and I'm like, hey, we have X dollars X number of dollars going into investments and, you know, funding the kids 529 plan and extra mutual funds and cash value life insurance. I might need to cut some of that like in half if the market goes to shit. And he goes, Hey, well, you know, you can borrow like a hundred grand against your whole life insurance policy. And, uh, you know, cause you're borrowing against yourself. There's the third party companies that will lend you the money at like 3% cause they know if you default, they just liquidate the whole life insurance policy and they pay themselves back. So there is literally zero risk for them. So it's really just an administrative cost. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm like, I can get access tomorrow to a hundred grand for two or 3%. I think it was like 2.3%. And he's like, yeah, you have that money available without having to liquidate anything or reduce what you have going into your investments. And that was the first time before reading your book that I had ever heard of the fact that it's like, oh, I've got this money, this phantom money that I can use to pull out. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking about like, well, I should keep an eye out for this investment property or this mobile home park. I started having these thoughts last year when you and I start, first started to become friends and this was available. So everybody's got something, you know, most companies have a corporate benefit where you can borrow up to $50,000 against your own 401k and the payback is nominal because you're borrowing against your own assets. So is that something else you've seen people use to finance deals? Yeah, you can do that. You can, I mean, there are a lot of uh, lending institutions that will lend against your brokerage accounts and, and what you own in the stock market. You know, so there, there's just a lot of ways that you can do it. I just want to uh, throw a disclaimer out there that um, most 
life insurance policies are garbage and you really have to find someone that is great at them that that builds it so like if you just buy one off the shelf it's probably not going to be a good fit i mean i i would say that the odds are 99.9 percent uh that it's not going to be a great fit you really need someone that specializes in whole life that can craft something based on your income your lifestyle you know all the all the you know details so if anyone wants i've got several people i could recommend um but i just wouldn't do that off the shelf but i do you know for me it's everything that um, any investment I've ever made uh, has gone through that. Like any, any asset that I have actually purchased has been an investment through my whole life or as a loan against my whole life. So every bit of real estate I own, a lot of these retail brands, um, a lot of, I mean, re- like operating companies uh, during the pandemic, I bought a dog training company just because I thought it was going to be a, a good idea because everyone's buying dogs and they're going to need to train them and they're going to go crazy. And that that business is booming. So that was a good call. But I mean, I, I borrowed the money against that policy and, uh, and bought the business. So, I mean, now wait a minute, I, we got, we got to digress here. Cause we went from like secured notes and real estate and what have you to, you bought a dog business, a dog walking dog training business. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of cool. So, uh, it, it's in Kansas city. I've got, uh, my operating partner that lives in Kansas city and, uh, it's called KC dogs, uh, D A W G. Z S. Yeah, of course. Cause nobody actually spells things the way that they're supposed to be G-Z, spelled anymore. G-Z, yeah. Uh, and anyway, so Patrick Mahomes ends up, uh, training his dog at our company, which is pretty cool. Uh, and, and so, I mean this, but it's, it's awesome because we don't like, I know nothing about dogs. I don't own a dog. I haven't, I mean, my parents owned a dog when I was a kid. Uh, my, you know, operating partner just bought a dog for the first time. So like we knew nothing about a dog training business, let alone dogs themselves. But it's just one of those things where it's like, pay attention to the market, pay attention to what's going on in the world and watch the trends and you'll capture good ideas. I didn't know if this was going to be a good idea, but conceptually it seemed like it should be. And I figured I'd try it out and I was able to uh, leverage it. I was able to get a portion of it seller finance. I was able to get a portion of a bank note. And then I uh, took a loan against my whole life policy for the down payment. Amazing. So uh, on this, on this dog business that you invested in, you're really just a financial, financial investor, right? You're bringing no expertise. You don't own a dog. You don't know the first thing about dogs, but you're just bringing the, the, the ability to finance, I'm guessing more debt for growth. Is that the, is that the expertise you're bringing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know how to look at financials. Uh, I, you know, I, I have experience scaling businesses cause I started a business that took off and I have operating partners that run that as well, but that's my favorite role. I, I love being the capital partner. I don't want to do the day-to-day anymore. I've done it. Uh, I know how to do it. I don't enjoy it. And it takes a lot of time. And then there's a lot of stuff that just kind of weighs on your mind. Like when you're done, it's like, oh, I need to do this and that. And the other thing, I just don't want that in my life. I'd rather just be the capital. And then whenever someone needs coaching or ideas, or if I just spot something that makes sense, I can share it. But that way it's more on my time. So it's again, buying my time back. That's awesome. And what am I forgetting to ask you that's in the book that's so important for people to understand? Oh man, there's tons of things we could get into. I mean, one of them would be how do you protect your investment so you don't lose your money? Yes. Uh, Talk about that. that, That's it. 
de-risk the deal. I, I mean, I really want to do everything in my power to not lose money because if you lose half of the money you have in an investment, then it takes you twice as much effort and work to earn that back. And then you've forever lost that opportunity to make money on it. You know, there's an opportunity lost cost and that's not pretty. So there are a lot of ways you can protect it. One of them's through collateral. Uh, and, and there are a lot of ways you can collateralize your loans. Um, you can utilize different mechanics. I mean, uh, some of the, you know, one of my sections in, in the book, uh, th this one kind of pairs a little bit with uh, commandment six, which is amplify the deal. Um, and, and so what it is, it's, it's finding ways to A, enhance the terms or B, reduce the risk or C, both of them. So how do you make an investment where the odds of you losing money are virtually impossible, but the return is exponential? That's what I'm looking for. And those do exist, especially when you know how to negotiate to protect your investment. Give us a real life example of maybe a deal that you worked on that you can talk about publicly where you limited the risk, but you really gave yourself that upside potential. So there is an investment that I made in American Airlines, former headquarters before they just built this new one. And um, they're still uh, on a lease back with us. But one of the cool things about this deal is we uh, came in as limited partners. So just capital partners. We're not doing any of the operations. There's a professional team that's managing it and uh, doing all the, the rehab and bringing new tenants in. So this is, this and, is a piece uh, of real estate. Just to be clear, this is a piece of real estate that you bought that used to be the American Airlines headquarters. Correct. Okay, okay, Correct. got it, got it. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm an investor in it. So I don't, you know, I'm a part owner. Um, but what's cool about this deal is for our group, for my investor network, I call it my Lions network, um, we were able to come in and uh, get what's called a put option. So a put option, allows us to take our money back at any point in time if we want to, if the deal's going bad, if it's taking too long, if expectations don't meet reality, or maybe everything with the deal's going great, but you're in a financial crisis, uh, you lost your job. Uh, so for any reason, we can take our money back. It's personally guaranteed. And the uh, owner of this company has enough assets to cover all of the put options. So that is a scenario where we're likely going to make somewhere between a three and a seven multiple inside of I'm imagining three years. But at any point in time, we can take our whole investment back. I mean, the, the so you're, you're talking about losing money. You're talking so about if, if I would have put in $100,000 in this deal with you, to rehab this place and get it set to go and have new tenants in there outside of American Airlines. I put my $100,000 in. The realistic rate of return within a couple of years is two, three, five, seven hundred thousand dollars $700,000. Um, but if my wife's just like, hey, we need our money back. You know, we had a, a personal tragedy. I could say, hey, Justin, I'm really sorry. I need to exercise that put option. I know I'm not going to make any money on the deal, but I need my $100,000 in principal back. There's people at that level That's that correct. are structuring that deal. So, uh, so it would be hard. I mean, when you see the stats, it's hard to even want to go there to take your money back. So I don't anticipate anyone doing it, but I want to know I can. 
And I want to know if they're not hitting their projections or it's taking too long or that, you know, something crazy with the pandemic is making it so people don't want commercial space. Uh, you know, like these are all things that I think about. So if I know I can get my money back, it just makes me feel so much better about investing in that deal rather than, you know, waiting for something else. Uh, how much of this, I wonder, is just you being comfortable asking? Because I know for me, if I was entering into some deal, for me to have the balls to be like, hey, we're going to enter into this deal. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to help you finance. But, you know, just down here in the fine print, I'd really like to take all my money back just in case something goes sideways. Like, how much of this is really like, your expertise or some insider knowledge versus you're just willing to ask? Well, I'm definitely willing to ask. Sometimes I'll ask and say, hey, is there anything else you can give the investors? You know, my, my group likes to get preferred returns or preferred terms rather. Uh, and we get them with, with virtually everyone that we invest with. You know, what are ways that you can kind of, you know, make this deal even more attractive? So that, that's one way of doing it and seeing what they offer. But another one is I'll say, hey, I have in the past done a put option. It's one of my most common mechanics that I have in an agreement. And so uh, I would like to have something like that to protect our investment. We haven't actually had to execute on one. So uh, again, we've never exercised a put option, but I like knowing that we can, and that would probably bring in more investment dollars. So I just try and speak in their language. Like, what do they, all they care about is what's in it for them. That's all they care about. So if what, if, if they give me a put option, but I'm going to put in more money and they know that it's going to be a good deal. Why not? It's awesome. Can you, can you tell us without diverging, divulging anything that might have a um, pending NDA or a pending lawsuit or anything like, can you tell us someplace where you screwed up just so everybody knows Justin Donald's not perfect? Oh yeah. It's like the first main story I have in the book. It's one of my biggest blunders of all. Uh, I invested with a company that was uh, buying basically online real estate, you know, websites that produced income through affiliates and through um, just ad income. And so it, everything sounded great. And my attorney even said, Hey, this contract isn't well-written. I don't trust these guys. It sounds too good to be true. I mean, he said all the stuff and I just didn't listen to him. And I said, I don't know. I, and, and by the way, in my defense, I had a friend, I had several friends that had invested with him for years. One of my friends had been investing with him since either 2012 or 2013. And he had made a paycheck every single month for that whole time. The business had been in business for 27 years and it worked really well until the day it didn't. And it was a legit business until 2018 when it officially became a Ponzi scheme and they took new money from investors to pay old investors. And they didn't even realize what they did because they thought that they could do it contractually. They thought that the language allowed them to make those decisions and they were just gonna pay it back. And by the way, a lot of companies do this quite frankly. Right. Um, and no one ever knows. And I mean, social security is a Ponzi scheme, but you know, th think about a company being legit for all those years, but then lying on their financials uh, to someone, there's only so much due diligence you can do. But my attorney picked it. He, he knew he called it and I just couldn't listen to him because 
I was too busy cashing paychecks, you know? So, and I had seen the proof. I saw what could happen, but now I recognize, Hey, Hey, it, it might work now. It might not, but it might, that doesn't mean it's going to work in the future. So it was a great learning experience. It was really a punch to the gut. I mean, I, it was a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Losing money always sucks. And I've heard you repeat Warren Buffett's uh, mantra many times, like rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, see rule number one. Um, and I, I really get the feeling mm -hmm. that that's how you live your life. So, um, you know, we've only got a couple more minutes and I know your time is super valuable. Tell me a little bit about how you've taken it to the next level. I know you run a mastermind group that's, um, I would say on the, um, higher side of an investment. If somebody wants to be part of the mastermind group, I don't know if you want to divulge that, uh, with a public audience, but, um, tell us how you've taken this to the next level and surrounded yourself with investors. And then, you know, really using your expertise to help pull in money from people who you trust in order to go invest in bigger deals. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I'm an open book. I'll, I'll share anything. And you know, the, the, the price, I want to be at a higher price point because, I want to attract people that are going to uh, be able to make decisions and, and probably have a barrier to entry to people that maybe aren't the best fit. So, um, you know, for, for my one-on-one -on -one time, I, my private clients pay me 250,000 to coach them for a year and they pay it in full. And um, I really limit how many people do that. I've got a wait list right now. And that wait list has kind of trickled down into the mastermind and the mastermind is still, you know, expensive, but comparatively it's, it's, uh, it's less, it's 50,000 a year. Um, but it's really just this unbelievable group of, of individuals from all different professions, from many different walks of life that are some of the smartest, brightest people you'll ever meet. And so, you know, I expose them to my network, to, the people that I have uh, exposure to deals with and to my network of professionals. In fact, just yesterday we did an event where I brought on three of my attorneys, my three trusted attorneys, one in bankruptcy, uh, one in contracts uh, and one in real estate. And so each of them taught for, you know, a three hour session and minds were blown. So it's, you know, I, I'm exposing some high level thinking um, and I'm exposing a network of people that are mastermind and, and private clients can use in their own life. And then we're able to just curate this awesome group that invests and I'm able to negotiate really good deals. So I get access to deals. I mean, I get, I'm, I don't know, I'm getting probably like probably a hundred, 75 to hundred deals a week that kind of come through my, my funnel, uh, my system right now. And I just pick the best ones. And so there's a lot of deal flow and we get preferred terms and we've got, you know, a lot of people that come in, people just choose to invest whenever they want to invest. So it's not for the faint of heart. Um, you know, and when someone comes in, I want them to feel like I need to take action, but, uh, I don't think there's a person in the mastermind that would say that they haven't made that money back yet. And, and uh, a lot of these people are brand new. So it just takes one idea, one investment, one, uh, tax change and switch. So I, I give access to all my, uh, tax, uh, advisors. And so many people have been able to save that entry tuition price just on the tax side of things. So it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all a, a price and value thing. Uh, numbers are different to different people, but, uh, it's a cool group of, of individuals. And then for those that that's not the right fit, I've got a masterclass, which is a former live one day event that I did that was repackaged and repurposed for 
just kind of an on-demand product and, and people can check that out. And that's, that's 5k. And then I've got an online course that's 497 bucks and I got a podcast that's free. That's free. So, and by the way, I uh, love the fact, I don't know, I don't know who told you to do this, but this is genius. Before your book launched, I downloaded on Audible and it wasn't the Audible book. It was 10 of your podcasts explaining all of the commandments in the book. And I'm like, oh, this is genius. Not any, not only do you get to like kind of pre-curate an audience, I'm like, Justin's giving away all of his best knowledge for free on an Audible book that cost me exactly $0. So now I don't have to pay you $250,000. Um, but, you know, maybe one day I'll be in a, in a range where I can do that and coach with you individually. But, you know, you, you were gracious enough before we were doing this interview to let me sit in on one of your investor calls and looking at the deck of the mobile home investment park that I can't remember the name of your friend who's looking to capitalize a couple more deals. It was very obvious to me that he was one- genuine, uh, which is important to me of anybody I would want to invest in, two, super hyper knowledgeable on that subject matter. And number three, he was honest where he's like, hey, I, I would love to do this deal myself, but I've got seven other deals locked up. I have the expertise. I have the knowledge. I know there's 11% rate of return here on an annual basis. I just don't have, you know, an, an additional $2.5 million to move forward. So I'm looking for investors because I've got the knowledge. I've got the deal. I'm going to peel a little bit off the top. And it was one of the first times I've been exposed to that deal, that type of deal where everything was transparent. It was upfront. It was very clear what the projected rate of return was going to be. And the guy was honest that was like, hey, if I had an extra $2 million in the bank, I would do this myself. I'm just, I'm currently tied up in all these deals. So I'll bring it to other smart investors. And I'm like, man. Every time I've been exposed to a deal, it's like, well, if this happens, this might happen. And there's, you know, shady Russian Robert over here trying to cobble his money together with this guy over here. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is just a recipe for disaster. So I really appreciated the transparency and the honesty of what you're putting together as a community. So I, there was no, there's no lesson there. I just wanted to say thank you for, you know, what you're doing in the investment world, because so much of this can feel sneaky. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. And, and thank you for the kind words, my goal is to just be as transparent as possible and to really give as much value as possible. So, you know, my book, I, I, I'm not holding back. I mean, I, I gave all my secrets, you know, I, I, I gave actual deals that people can replicate. I mean, each commandment, each of the 10 commandments has a specific example or two of what I did to utilize that commandment. And so the structure's there, the negotiations are there. I mean, someone can literally just come in and copy it. Um, you know, my podcast, I'm talking to people that have, have, built a killer life and have done very well in, in the things, the endeavors they've done. Most of them in, in the, you know, investment world or entrepreneurial world. Uh, and so, you know, my goal is to just get info out there. I mean, a lot of like on my website, if you go to justindonald.com, there's tons of free stuff. You can join my email list. Um, there are free resources in the book. If you go, you know, it, it, I think the link is uh, uh, justindonald.com forward slash book uh, or no forward slash gift. And, and there's all kinds of like, you know, free stuff there. Um, but my, my goal is to just put content out there and, you know, if people want some of the higher ticket stuff and want more of my time, that's great too, but people don't have to do that. Uh, but I also want to let your audience know that all the proceeds of the book go to charity. Uh, I partnered with a company called love justice international and, um, and they stopped human trafficking. Uh, they're in 17 countries around the world. And so all the proceeds go, I just, we re recently released the audible as well. Um, so the, the proceeds of that are going there. And then um, a portion of all the proceeds that go to any of the programs of Lifestyle Investor go uh, to charity. That's amazing, so man. I, I want what we do to be like 
a way to educate people. So they, I want to teach people at the highest level. I want to give away a ton of stuff for free and the stuff that I charge for, I I want them to know that, you know, the education is good and you're going to learn a lot, but it's going to go to a good cause as well. Yeah. And now that you've accomplished your goal of being a lifestyle investor and you you're kind of done, right? You've replaced all the income that you need with passive investment. Uh, We'll end with this question. What's your favorite thing to do with your free time? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, it's funny because I started this hobby. So in 2018, I took the year off and we went and traveled Europe for a while and uh, just had a great time as a family. But the two things that I kept doing were looking at deals and then coaching my friends to financial freedom. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do this stuff anyway why don't I just roll out my own brand, my own company, and I'll just, I'll teach it, but it can't be a job. I can't do it so much that it's work because then that's the whole thing I tried to get away from. So it's got to be done in a hobby-like way, but the results have to be very high-end and very professional. So um, that's kind of where this business was born. So I actually love spending time with my community because these are the people that I would love to be around. You know, they're amazing. And a lot of these people, um, I, you know, we do deals, I, we travel together. Uh, I mean, these are, some of these people are like dear, dear friends and other people are, are ones that are going to become dear friends. And so uh, I love hanging out, traveling, meals. Uh, I play volleyball with some of these individuals. I, we have a, a group that plays every Saturday morning. So it's one of my favorite things. I love movies. I love singing and guitar and um, yeah. I, I like to be active. I like working out. So, I mean, there's a ton of stuff that I just love to spend my time doing. And I'm a student. I'm a lifelong learner. I will never get tired of learning, Scott. So um, I'll, I'll be a student in some way, shape or form the rest of my life. And part of what's fun and teaching people is it forces me to continue to learn. So I have things to teach. That's awesome, man. And last but not least, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, how's your, uh, how's your lovely daughter and wife doing? Uh, everything good out there in Austin, Texas. I know you guys were freezing your ass off about three weeks ago. Yeah, it was it was a cold week and uh, it was a crazy time. It's like, like nothing I've ever experienced, but you know, we've been in 70s and 80s ever since and uh, just great weather. And we're heading to Puerto Rico tomorrow for a week and then going to Vegas for March Madness. So uh, we got uh, we got some fun things in store. Nice, man. Well, I'm buying a house up in Vegas. Uh, we just got an accepted offer and uh, I'll be up there a lot over the next month. So when you're in town for uh, for your March Madness, shoot me a text and uh, we'll grab a beer or a cigar. I love it. That sounds great. All Looking right, man. Forward to it. Thanks for being on. I know your time is extremely valuable and um, hopefully everybody goes out and buys a lifestyle investor checks out your links, checks out justindonald.com, like absolute must. And uh, yeah, we'll shoot you this all when we're, when we're ready to release it in about a week here. And if your listeners want it for free, all they have to do is pay shipping. They can go to lifestyleinvestor.com and they can get the book there and uh, a few other, you know, cool offers. So you can of course get it on Amazon. The proceeds either way are going to go to charity. It'll be more if you buy it outright, but uh, if you want to get, you know, on the email list or, or learn about more uh, products or options, go to lifestyleinvestor.com. Cool, man. Thanks a lot. Enjoy a dinner with your family and uh, I'll see you in Vegas. All right, Scott. Thanks. Talk soon. All right. Later, man.